Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media, or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. My guest today is Greg Bunt, a former chef and vice president at Wynn Resorts. Greg was responsible for the strategic development and operational enhancements for 14 five-star Forbes outlets, three Michelin star outlets, and an operational team of 1,300. Greg, thank you so much for offering to share your pathway. G'day, Tim. It's great to be on your show, mate. Thanks for the invite. Beginning at the very start of your career, what was your first ever job? Mate, my first job was I was an oyster farmer on the, the mid-New South Wales coast, a little town called Foster Tungkari, and uh, I, was, uh, I was oyster farming through the day and washing dishes, actually, through the evening. And for someone that doesn't know, what, what does an oyster farmer do? Oh, it's very labour-intensive. It involves you know, a lot of, lot of labour work up on the river and, and farming oysters. So an oyster, an oyster itself takes three years to form into full development. So it's uh, having a, what they call a fat oyster, which is deep up into the river, moving those, those fat oysters forward and slowly growing them into a fully blown oyster. A lot of heavy work, a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of baking in the sun, a lot of being eaten alive by sandflies. But also nice to see dolphins cruising under your feet and large flatheads swimming around and being in the sun. Did you ever encounter any sharks? No, no sharks, no sharks. Plenty of dolphins, but no sharks up the river, no. Thank God. Now, food has really played a central part in your life. I wondered if you remembered your first cooking experience. Sure. Well, it was, it was you know, when I started washing dishes, uh, I really loved what I was seeing and who I was working with and the, the, the energy of chefs around me. So I, I really fell into it and uh, you know, I learned to, to love ingredients and I, I loved working with the chefs and they're always putting food in my mouth and that was really my food at first foray into kitchens, and uh, that you know, within a short amount of time, I, was, I became hooked, and that was going to be my career going forward. I'm always amazed by by people and hearing your passion, who love something so much that they make it their career. When was the point that you realised that you know what, this is what I want to do? Oh, as soon as I was in the kitchens, I just I I really fed off the energy and you know, the fast pace of it, the, the preparation stages in the morning and then moving into a service. It just, the energy just really took me took me away and I was gone, <laughs> completely gone. And I, I totally devoted myself to it. I was reading cookbooks out of work and practicing cooking on, on girlfriends and just totally enrolled myself in, in wanting to be one of the best chefs on the planet. And I mean, the commitment to, to do that is, you know, in the chefing world is realistically, it's 12 to 15 hours a day. You need to involve yourself in everything around food and suppliers and, and, and just learning and learning and learning. And it all comes with experience. And then, uh, you know, the good times come out the top at the end. You hear stories about being a chef and, and especially the apprentices in the, in the kitchen. Was it a good early experience? Were there some really tough chefs that, um, you know, screamed and yelled? There was, Tim, absolutely. I think um, I've been through a lot of different chefs. I've had things thrown at me, guys that lose their nut all the time. But that's all a learning experience as well. I mean, you know, having a guy throw a can at me one, one evening was like, well, you're exactly 
what you know that a role model that I will not be looking towards. And uh, you know those experiences that you learn from, and you think, well, you know, this guy's obviously going to have issues later in life if he can, if he can treat people the way that he does. You learn from that, you move on. And my motto was, as I as I grew through kitchen, was to was to nurture people and to you know to win and be successful as a chef without having to yell, without my blood pressure rising, and uh, with making people those people around me and my team better people and better craftsmen at their skills. What makes a great chef? I think uh, a great chef, really, you, you obviously need to know how to cook, but to be a great chef comes with time. You really need a good 10 years experience within the industry and within kitchens to become a chef. When you're a chef, you're leading a team. You're, you're responsible for people. You're responsible for, for costs. You're responsible to the owner. You're responsible to the guests. You, you know, it, it, it all comes together after a 10-year period. Did you have mentors or anyone early on that really guided you through your pathway? Yeah, absolutely. There were various chefs that I worked for. Um, doing my training at the Australian National Art Gallery was, was a really good place to work. I had a chef there that really took me under his wing. We worked very hard in, in that particular place. But he really nurtured me, took me under the wing, guided me, you know, advised me to do different, to study different areas of cookery, which we did. You know, I went out and once my apprenticeship completed, I, I moved into doing bakery and pastry and butchery and, and different workshops in these fields to advance myself on top of the culinary experiences. And those chefs are the ones that put me into Sydney. And it was during during my holidays in Canberra at the Australian National University, I'd go down to Sydney and work at the Rock School uh, for experience in super sort of more high-end fine dining. And through that experience, it actually gave me the opportunity to work in the Rock Pool in uh, the later years of my career. Due to the fact that uh, I had the commitment that I was working for free for a few weeks a year, Neil Perry gave me the opportunity to come and work for him on the line. You've worked all over Asia. I wondered what the catalyst was for you to, to move abroad or move away from your Australia. Yeah, it, was a, it was a funny experience, Tim. I was, I, was, uh, I was working at the Rock Pool, which was one of my ultimate goals. It was a phenomenal restaurant, still is. And while I was working there, I, I was very curious about uh, you know, doing job interviews and moving around and meeting people and just keep, keep on keeping on, you know. So I used to take job interviews with no intention of taking the job, but just for the experience of taking job interviews. And I'd go to, you know, two or three a month. And uh, I answered, a, there was a, an ad in the paper for a position in a Thai restaurant, or to open a Thai restaurant in Hong Kong. So I went to, along to the interview and uh, the guys asked us to come back and do some cooking, which we did, and landed a job in Hong Kong. So I went back to Chef, to Neil Perry, and I said, look, I've got this amazing opportunity to go to Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, I told him, oh, look, I'm really happy here. I'm, I'm learning a lot from you and I love working in this kitchen. And he said, take the opportunity, go, learn how to use a wok on the streets while you're there. So we did. A month later, I was on a plane and I was uh, with a chef who I didn't know and we landed in Wan Chai in Hong Kong and we, we built a Thai restaurant up there, worked with a couple of Thai, rest, Thai chefs and that was, uh, that was amazing. And that was where my real culinary career really started to take off. And through the 90s in Hong Kong was just a phenomenal experience. I mean, everything was going on. There was all walks of life that were being introduced to and bankers and dealers and brokers and all walks of life very happy time to say the least in Hong Kong restaurants were pumping so we moved around and that's what we did we learned how to, to, to cook Cantonese cuisine we learned how to cook 
Chinese cuisine. We looked at, we learned how to cook Vietnamese cuisine. We spent our evenings on the streets, under bridges, cooking mud crab with woks and, oh, it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Different smells, you know, I mean, as a young chef in a place like Hong Kong that you know, I'd never been to, be exposed to all these new and wonderful ways of cookery and new ingredients was just, just an incredible experience. And through that, you know, working in foreign cultures and working with chefs from all over the world, from Asian chefs, all together in a melting pot in your own kitchen was another amazing experience. I mean, to get these guys to work together when they're all coming from different countries is, is you know, was another experience in its own. That's where I really started to learn, you know, how to lead a team, how to lead a team, how to, how to work with people, how to cross cultures and get the best out of people. And to do that, it's actually a simple formula. It's just taking an interest in the person for one and then asking them and looking for, you know, some cuisines from, from their backyard. If it's a Moroccan chef, show me something from Morocco. Mm. You know, if it's a Filipino chef, show me something from the Philippines and enhance that and adapt that and work with it, put them on the menu. And then they feel special and you develop a team. Was language a big barrier for you? I mean, I know how important communication is in kitchen. Look, it, it wasn't. I mean, there wasn't much English with most of when we first got there. There was not a lot of English. But through kitchens and through mannerisms and, and actions, you can communicate and work together. Culinary is a phenomenal, a phenomenal thing like that when you've got you know, limited limited languages in a kitchen, you can still communicate through food. And that's a beautiful part of, of working in kitchens. Had you travelled much before moving to Hong Kong? No, no, just the, the obligatory Balinese surf trip here and there. But no, I hadn't really done a lot of travel. My intention was, I thought, well, I'll go to Hong Kong. And then, you know, my intention was to, to go to Europe, which is most young chefs on a benchmark. And I, I knew that if uh, I went to Europe, I probably wouldn't come back because I'd be so overwhelmed with the experiences there. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd do Asia and I ended up staying. My career just took off and I, I was promoted to more and more senior positions and moved around Hong Kong in, uh, in that framework. You certainly did. And you had your own business. And if, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and, and what it was like to own and not just work for someone else, but actually have a, a piece for yourself? Sure. Well, I was, you know, in Hong Kong through the 90s, as I was saying, and then 9-11 had hit. I, I was doing, I was up there for about seven years. 9-11 had hit. I was running a restaurant in Hong Kong, which was my first real restaurant. That, you know, I could do what I wanted with the food and be creative. And that was uh, Aqua, a restaurant called Aqua. It was extremely successful. Um, had, a, had a great network base around me and, and built a real community of friends and mentors through that period. 9-11 had come along, then SARS had come along. And the interior designer that I was working with on the Aqua project had said, you know, well, why don't we go back to Australia and uh, let's do it for ourselves. I think we, we both at that level of our careers had enough experience to do it for ourselves. So we did. We went back to, we came to Australia. We looked at every state in Australia and we thought, well, where are we going to do this? And Brisbane was the place that uh, had the most energy at the time. So we landed in Brisbane and uh, we obtained a lease in Mopirian Plaza, which is right on the river uh, opposite the Story Bridge in Brisbane. And it was a huge place. It was like a 500-seat restaurant. We obtained the lease there after a lot of leg work, a lot of running around and obtaining finances and dealings with banks and landlords. It took us 12 months to actually get off the ground there. Uh, we built a restaurant, which was very successful. Then we, we obtained a second lease, which was above 
um, Boardwalk Bar and Bistro, which was a more Asian contemporary style place. And then we built another fourth. We ended up with six restaurants over a seven year span in Brisbane, which we're all doing very well. Uh, and then unfortunately, I'll never forget it, Tim, but it was uh, January 11, the Brisbane flood had happened and our restaurants were inundated with flood water. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was an amazing experience to, for one, coming back from Asia and working within Australia, it was a completely different concept working in Australia than it is in Asia. Um, but having to wear those hats, you know, after working in places in Asian hotels, et cetera, you're wearing all the hats yourself. You are the maintenance guy. You are the HR guy. You are the finance guy. You are the operations guy. You're everything. Um, that experience was, was my master's of business um, administration. I've done my MBA through those seven years. <laughs> did you yeah, was, did you take some time to to find your feet? Uh, yeah, we did, mate. It took us, you know, it, it was a, it was a good six months to really sort things out. I mean, yeah, our expectation was that in in Asia things happen very very quickly. You move quickly, you know, you you adapt very quickly. Coming back to Australia, the processes were a lot slower. We had to. We had to take our time, breathe through that, understand the different technicalities of working within Australia and working within a business within Australia. So it did take a little bit of time to get our feet, uh, and then we and then away we went. You know, things were looking rosy. We we had a really good alliance with uh, Leighton Properties at the time. Um, you know, and our intention at that time was to to get up to ten restaurants and list the company, uh, and then offload it. To be honest, mm. and move on to something else. But unfortunately, those those floods had hit us, and uh, that was that was just incredible. I was actually, it's, it's an interesting story, Tim. I was actually down the coast at Costa and uh, on having a break, and uh, my mother woke me up in the morning. She said, "I think you better get out of bed. The Channel Seven helicopters showing your restaurant on TV, and your restaurant's going underwater." <laughs> it was a surreal experience, man. I was out of that bed in two seconds watching. My business partner on TV from a chopper with his hands on his hips, scratching his head, as as our number one restaurant was being inundated with water. So I was uh, I don't even remember the trip driving to Brisbane, but I, I got up there pretty quick, and uh, we sat on the steps there and drank a bottle of rum, which had zero effect. Watched the waters come in. Uh, I told my business partner, I said, "I'll pick you up in the morning at six, which I did. And we went to every hardware store that we could we could possibly find open and started to build. To buy materials to rebuild the places while the water was still coming up because we knew that you know Brisbane was in such a mess at the time that there'd be no materials for us to rebuild so we quickly jumped on the horse and away we went and we got the places up and running within six months but we ran into a lot of headwinds given that the city was you know under so much stress and pressure from those kind of floods uh, that we ended up having to fold the business and uh, which we did and Three months later, I landed in in Bali as the executive chef at Four Seasons. <laughs> wow! What a what a what a uh, a circle of a journey! My goodness! It was, mate. It was uh, as I said, it was my master's of business. Brisbane so to Bali. Brisbane to Bali. <laughs> it was a heavy hit and uh, heavy weight, but as I said, it's the mark of a man. If you can bounce as quickly as you can, then you know, that's what you need to do in those experiences. You can't rest on your laurels. You, you've got to move quick. It was a huge strain on my family, the whole process, and obviously financially. But, you know, I turned it into something exciting. I thought, well, well, there we go. Let's, let's start looking at our next opportunity. 
and uh, we did. And yeah, executive chef at Four Seasons in Bali. I want to I want to skip towards your time at Wynn Resorts. You know, when you sure. when you were leading such a big team, what were some of the things that you looked for and characteristics in, in your staff? I look at it was a very big team. That you have a key a key sort of subcommittee of people that you're relating to when you're working with such a large team. So, I, you know, I had, uh, you know, three directors there. I had uh, an executive chef there. And these guys were my tight unit. So the communications went down the line through those four key people. And it was all about staying close with everyone. You know, it's, it's being accessible to everyone. It's, it's communicating with everyone. It's having a, a clear vision of what needs to happen uh, and making sure that everyone's aware of that vision and really completely understands that what's some of the best advice that you've received oh look at when it, in leadership it was people need to be motivated by casting a vision that really propels them forward and i think that's the first and foremost task of any any leader is really you know understanding that your people need to be motivated and to do that you need to create a vision and you need to follow up with it and if you can do that i think you're on a, a pretty good track of leadership you know, and then I guess the other is if you're not, if you're not learning yourself, this is other things that people have said to me. If you're not learning yourself, then you're not leading to your full potential. A place like Win is such a high performance operation, as you mentioned. You know, with the Forbes pressure of Forbes five star uh, environment, where to give you an idea, in food and beverage, there's 200 standards written by Forbes that we are measured with and audited monthly by random auditors. You know, and that could be from an auditor will say in the property unannounced, call the restaurant, and there's a specific way that our, our host must speak to them, and that's recorded and that's scored and weighted against your, you know, your five-star rating. And then we had that across all of our properties. There was a huge intensity of, of pressure of making sure that our, our service standards were excellent all the time. You know, and, and out of those 200 standards, we needed to be at 98% or above to retain five stars in those independent outlets. So within saying that, we put a lot of effort into training, a lot of communicating, a lot of talking about those standards. But it was also, you know, you, you can't get lost in those measures as well. You need to have that human connectivity when it comes to service and that emotional engagement. That part is really critical. And something that, that's something that I identified very early working at Wynn. Um, and it made me you know, travel around and be a part of the HR team and selecting the right people to bring to the property. It wasn't just our, our HR crew that would go. We'd actually travel with them. And almost like speed dating, it was uh, interview, interviewing people because we had two, 300 people to interview at a yeah, time in the Philippines and Vietnam. But it was always about that, you know, that first impact. Does this person have bright eyes, bubbly, and a warm smile? And I'm like, that's all I need to work with. That's the blank canvas. We can teach you the hardware but we want your personality to come across to a guest. So if you, if you drive that, that training into someone and they've had that two, three years experience of you know, fine dining service skills, that will come out naturally, but you want the personality. You want that emotional engagement. You want that, that talking to a guest where the guest, you remember the guest's name and that guest is coming back because of you and your personality. What were some of the strategies that you used to get the buy-in from the team members? Consistency, a lot of analytics. When we'd break down uh, auditable reports, would come through to us. We would we would analyze them to the nth degree and really break them down in through Excel spreadsheets and looking at ways and looking at trends and understanding. Because it's such a big team, you need to use these analytics. 
you're looking at graphs and looking at charts and seeing those weaknesses and those areas that we need to develop. And then we drill down onto those areas and invest our training and our time in those areas. And, you know, to obtain a, a Michelin star from a chef's point of view, they've, they've really got to have their stuff together. They've got to understand consistency. They've got to understand value for money. You know, these are the basic criteria of, of, of Michelin. Uh, it's the personality of the chef on a plate. How were you received as a as an Australian in Asia? Oh, fine. I was. Uh, I mean, it, I don't think it's where you're from. I think it's how you treat people. Mm, you know, and it's in in every every country in the world. It doesn't matter where you land. If you show an interest in someone and you show an interest in their culture and communicate with them and understand them as a person rather than an employee, you'll be rewarded definitely. You know, that person will will stay with you. Will remember you. Because you've taken the time and to have interest in them as a person rather than an employee. And that's how I live my, my leadership as well. You know, I always take interest in my people and I'm more about developing my people than, than you know, the, the, the top line. It's all about the people, mate. Without the people, you can't do anything. I've absolutely loved this conversation. And just to wrap up, <laughs> I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Sure. The other occupation that you'd like to attempt is? Yeah, that's a, that's a real hard one because I'm so driven and passionate about hospitality. But I, I think it would be more in the field of architecture or something that's creative. Uh, I've always been a creative person, so I would say architecture. The person that you'd most like to cook for is? Richard Branson. I think he'd be an interesting man to have a chat with. Deeply in entrepreneurial myself, but I think he'd be an interesting guy to have a chat with. The one thing that scares you the most? Another flood. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, too. The book that you recommend to people the most is? Uh, look, uh, for me, I, I read multiple books, but I'm one that can't stay focused from cover to cover, so I have a few on my desk and I just read chapters. But uh, the one that comes to mind is a book called Humble, Hungry, Hustle by Brad uh, Lomnick. That's a really terrific book. And the other would be, I think, Good to Great, which is more of a company thing, but that was a fantastic book as Jim well. Jim Collins? Is that Jim Collins? Jim Collins, that's yeah. right. Yeah. What excites you about the future? I'm really excited about this post-COVID resurgence. I'm really excited to be able to work for a company where I can unload everything that I've learned to date over the last 30 years in the industry. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the future, Tim. Really looking forward to it. Oh, you have so much passion. Any company that gets you is, uh, is incredibly lucky. And uh, it's been such a privilege to talk to you on The Pathway. Thanks very much, Tim. It's been a pleasure, mate. And, and congratulations to yourself for taking the initiative to create such a, a, an excellent forum. Well done, mate. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and join me next time on The Pathway.